0: You may be seated. Well, good morning. good morning. If this is your first time this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, Reuben here is a co-pastor. Um, he'll be teaching our Spanish service in the second hour. Um, so blessed that we are uh, to be a family that speaks two languages, but really one family uh, sharing in the hope, the one hope of Jesus Christ. Just praising the Lord for what he's doing here. How many decisions do you make in a day? How many do you think? Maybe if you have kids, that doubles. In uh, a recent Microsoft commercial for their to-do app, they, they put 35,000 as the number. If you do the math on that, they've got a pretty loose definition of what a decision is. Maybe your brain tweaked a little, and that's a decision. I don't know. That seems a little high to me, but you know, th- there was a university that did a study, and just decisions about food, what decisions do we make about food, and they did a poll, and people thinking about it averaged about 70 decisions, they thought, in a day that they made regarding food. Um, but then they, then they actually interviewed them and talked to them about you know, food and snacks and different things, and, and they came up with more of a, a number of like 200 and some decisions that they that averaged out what they thought. Lots of decisions, no doubt, that we make every single day. Um, there's three decisions that I've been challenged with this week. Uh, as I've been looking through the passage that we're going to be going through, three decisions that we do make every day, uh, multiple times a day. We don't necessarily realize uh, those are decisions to be made. I think they're things that we, we kind of assume are just part of where we're at. But I've been challenged by Paul in the passage ahead of us uh, that these are things that were commanded in regard to, of, of, of what we should do. They're real decisions, and the are decisions that we make every day. Where, where we're at is we've been going through the book of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, from prison in Rome to the church in Philippi. Uh, we're getting to the end. Last week, we entered chapter 4 had that big transition verse of therefore, everything that he has written so far, uh, because of that, I want you to now stand firm in the Lord thus. And everything then that we were reading is instruction on how we were to stand firm in the Lord. And, and there was a couple of things left that we didn't reach yet, and we're gonna get into those this morning. Two more things that have to do with how we are to stand firm in the Lord. And then an example from Paul that we're gonna cover here as we continue in chapter four. So if you turn with me to chapter four, we're gonna pick up in verse eight. It's finally brothers, finally, that's not finally as in the whole book, it's finally as in this list of things that we're to do to stand firm in the Lord. Finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I am speak, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this book that we've been able to enjoy uh, hearing from from your wisdom through this letter of Paul, that you inspired him to write things that are very applicable to our life, applicable to our church. God, I pray this morning as we're just examining our own daily routine and decisions that we make, God, that, that you would challenge us to follow your direction that we have in your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so starting back in verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, so if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's the command, think about these things. And that's the first decision that, that I've been challenged with this week is, is what to dwell on. What do I dwell on? When, when I'm in the car and I listen to the radio or I'm, I'm in between things at work, what are the things that occupy my mind? You know, I don't think necessarily all the time that that's actually a decision that I can choose those things that I want to dwell on. But that's what's suggested here. He's saying, think on these things. This would be where you put your mind. And this list isn't normally those things that I dwell on. Those things we naturally just dwell on when we're not intentional tend to go in a different direction. But he says, first, think on whatever is true. Whatever is true. How, how do I find what is true? Where, where do I find truth? In the Bible, we see places where it, it, it says that in God the Father, we can find truth. There's places that say in, in God the Son, Jesus Christ, we can find truth. The Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth. So then when I read and it says, uh, all scripture has been breathed out by God, well, this is gonna be a source of truth, and that's what Jesus attests to in, in John 17, 17, when he's praying for the disciples And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As in, your word defines truth. Your word is truth. So when we're needing to dwell on what is true, we need to go to the source of truth, which is in God, which is found in his word. Can I know truth without spending time in the Bible? Well, my experience is is normally dwelling on things. It, truth is this elusive thing. If I'm listening to the radio, what are they doing? They're arguing about what's true. This is true. No, this is true. You know what's right. This is right. This is, and and truth is this elusive thing that's that's just it's a mess in the world that we're around us. Even even when I'm in in. With, with people that I love and close within my family, there's still conflict around what is the truth of a matter, and, and truth is this, is this thing that's difficult uh, to find, and so sometimes as I, there's times when I open my Bible and it's like rest, because for the first time in what's been chaos of a week or a day, I can know that this is truth. Do we we need to be in our Bibles for truth? Turn with me, uh, if you will, to John chapter 8. And certainly, we can gain truth by listening to teaching. Like this morning, we're in in God's word. This is the source of truth. It's not what David's coming up with this morning. What's true here is what's in God's word. But how important is it for us to be in God's word? So in this context, Jesus is talking, uh, chapter 8 and verse 31, talking to some Jews, and, Jew, and, and some of them actually believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they actually weren't sure about that. What do, what do you mean it's going to set me free? And, and he, he instructs them that, that it has to do with being set free from sin, and ultimately he says, and, and he's identifying himself as a personification of truth, he says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. See, sin is, is in its nature deceptive. It's, it's rooted in lies. It's against the truth that is in God. And it's by the truth of, that we have in Jesus Christ that we are freed from sin, Jesus Christ himself being truth. We sang that in the song. The way, the truth, the life. We see that later in chapter 14 in here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How important is it for us to know the truth, not just from what we've heard, but to actually know it from the source, from the Bible? So am I intentional when I'm dwelling on things to, to take what I'm dwelling on and try to see it from God's perspective. That's the true perspective, to, to see those things in the way that God sees them. What are some truths that I can pull from God's word? Whenever, I, whenever I'm thinking about maybe what's going on in the political arena around me or, or just in, in the local political arena, there's things that can turn your stomach, there's things that can cause fear, Are we seeing those things through God's eyes, the way he sees them? It will change our perspective. For instance, um, Romans chapter 13. Here's, Here's a truth from God's perspective. There is no authority, speaking of governments and authorities in the world, there is no authority except from God and those that exist President Trump, the leader of North Korea—good, bad—within our own county, there is no authority. This is this is complete. There's no authority that exists except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Does that change your perspective? when you're dwelling on what's going on in the world around us. There's an implication to that that's given in Romans 13, that to resist that authority is to resist what God appointed. Oh, boy. That's a difficult, especially in something in a case like North Korea. Now, now what it's not saying is that, that to resist in every case is also to resist God. We saw that in the example of Daniel in the lion's den. It, Daniel subjected himself to an to an authority that was not a benevolent king, and and then this ruling comes out that for this next month you can only pray to the king. If you pray to another person or to another god, you'll be thrown in a lion's den. And as soon as Daniel saw that, he went up to his room and prayed to God. Because the the greater authority was God. He's seeing rightly that though. This non-benevolent authority is there; has been instituted by God. God is the greater authority. So if anything goes against God, he's gonna submit to the greater authority. So that perspective, seeing the world around me through that can change what I dwell on. He's saying, dwell on what is true. See things as God sees them. What's another way that I can use the truth from God's word? And God's word is full of them but some other basic ones. How about this one? Man is made in God's image. Genesis 127 is where we get that. Man is made in God's image. As I'm considering those in the community that are hostile towards God, hostile towards Christians, am I respecting the fact that God has created them in his image. They are image bearers of God. Am I seeing it through a true perspective that yes, they are against God. They are, uh, they are holding on to sin. They, they are adamantly uh, enemies of God in their actions, but they are people who God has put in his own image. They are image bearers of God does that affect how I see and dwell on what's going on around me? How about this? It is God's desire that all sinners be saved, 1 Timothy 2.4. That means those people that are hostile towards God. That means every person, take the worst person you can think of in the world, that person is an image bearer of God God and God's desire is that they be saved. Am I seeing things through God's perspective? Or even if we bring it into our own family, our own Christian family, there are Philippians 1:1. 1, 1. What, what did Paul address his letter to, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus? Do we see each other as being in Christ Jesus? If we ever have have conflict, see conflict is where we start dwelling, right? Because then we start thinking about things. And are are we seeing correctly through God's eyes, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that He has died for them, He has forgiven their sins, they are precious in His sight? Do we see them that way? We need to dwell in truth. Seeing people the way God sees them. All right, that's truth. He also says, whatever is honorable, dwell on those things that are honorable. That can also be, it's been translated, noble, worthy of respect, majestic, and awe-inspiring. Things that, that in God's eyes are worthy of respect. Think on those things. Let that be what you're dwelling on. The opposite of that would be to let our minds go into the gutter. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you. And it goes on to say, Let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. You're going to include everything in that list, Paul? Now I'm feeling bad about myself. Don't let those be the things that, that occupy your mind. So but in this time when he wrote this, they didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have Facebook or YouTube or, or any of those things. What do you think Paul's assessment would have been of those things? that are a form of entertainment for us primarily. What's in those things? Is it honorable in, in God's eyes? Is it, is it something that we should be dwelling on? Now, listen to me. We are free in Christ to enjoy entertainment, to enjoy television, to enjoy all these things. There is, by, by deciding what I will or won't watch or change what I'll be entertained by is not gonna in any way make me more righteous before God. Our righteousness comes from Christ through faith. There is no set of rules To that effect, it's 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 faith in Christ that we hold on to and the hope of eternity that we hold on to. That is the life that we live in Christ. So then, does it really make that much difference? Is it really that big of a deal? What I watch, what I spend time meditating on, and I'm just vegging. Is that important? you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Let's try to see this from God's perspective, a true perspective of these things to understand what do we really want in light of seeing things God's way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse three, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is referring to a truth. that's uh, another fundamental truth to, to affect our perspective and seeing things in a true manner that we see at the end of Ephesians 6 that we're in a battle. We're always in a battle. As believers, there's a constant battle going on, and it's not a battle that's flesh and blood. It's not one that we see, that we engage in physically. It's a spiritual battle, and it's against real beings that are not human, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual beings, against Satan and demons and spiritual powers. That's, that is a battle that's a reality that we are engaged in every day. So to not see that is to not really have understanding and a true view of what's going on around us. But that's what he's speaking to here. For though we walk in the flesh, that's our, a living day to day, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Wow, what, what, what is that? What, what are those weapons of our warfare? We see in, in the spiritual armor that's given in Ephesians 6, what's the, the primary weapon there is the sword of the spirit, the word of God that the spirit wields. That is the weapon, and it has divine power, yes, because it is the Spirit of God who wields it. It has divine power to destroy strongholds. What is this battle? It's not like the movies where now I'm going to take this, and I'm going to go up against a big demon, or I'm going to go and, and, and lay down with a battle. It's, that's not what is the truth of what that spiritual battle looks like. What is it? It's in verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is a battle of truth, God's truth against lies. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ against deception and lies that the enemy is holding and taking every thought captive to obey Christ. That's the battleground. That, that, that is light penetrating darkness. You know, wait a second, I thought light penetrating darkness was, was us going out into the world and, and bringing the gospel to those who are lost. It, it's the gospel and salvation. That's what this is. Yes, it is gospel and salvation. Think about it. Someone lost. When I was lost, when each of us, before we came to Christ, our our situation was what we see in Ephesians chapter two. We were dead in our sins. That's a stronghold of depravity is where we were at. Dead in our sins. Believing a lie. Unable to know the truth of God because we were set against God. That's where we were. And then what happened? Truth. Truth. The truth of the gospel, wielded by the Holy Spirit, penetrated that, entered into that, opening our eyes, bringing about repentance, turning a heart that is hard, a heart of stone that's hard towards God into a heart of flesh that desires God, that loves God, that wants what's in God. And the Spirit of God, in the moment that we see that and we believed, what did the Spirit of God do? He put his seal on our life as a guarantee to a finished work that he was gonna work out in our lives, that he is working out even now to be completed, ultimately in glory with Christ. And then the Spirit of God in our lives continued and is continuing with the word of truth to break down strongholds within our own heart. Strongholds to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that we hold against the knowledge of God. That's the spiritual battle that we have primary engagement in every single day is within ourselves. The word of God, the truth, the spirit of God, working against lies, working against beliefs, working against every argument that we have against the knowledge of God to replace that with true understanding so that we bring every thought captive to obey Christ. So then do I want to entertain myself and dwell on things that are full of, spiritual immor- of, uh, of sexual immorality, full of, of opinions that are set against God, full of things that are things that, it, if salvation and sanctification, the renewing of my mind is, my, is, is a battle within my mind and my thoughts, and, and the goal that God has in his perspective of what he's doing in my life is to bring every thought captive to obedience in Christ, do I want to be spending time putting stuff in that he's trying to overcome with truth? What are the things that we're doubt dwelling on? Are they honorable to God? He says whatever is true Think on these things. Whatever is honorable, think on these things. Whatever is just. Just. Having to do with what's right in God's eyes. As believers, we should be concerned about what's right. That should actually be something that we dwell on a lot because uh, we want to walk in righteousness. We want to do what's right before God, what God sees as right. And so uh, that should consume our thoughts. It's part of holiness. It's part of of being set apart with God to be holy in our actions. So it's not always easy to figure out what is the right thing to do, but that should be something that we're dwelling on, concerned with, doing what is right. What is just? I can tell you when, when I'm dwelling on things and I'm not intentional in that, where does that typically go in, with respect to justice? It's usually justice, con- connected to my pride. My pride was hurt in some sense or, or my pride was, was lifted in some sense and now what, what's just that I'm dwelling on is how to defend or elevate my pride. That's not seeing things from God's perspective and what is good. What is justice from God's perspective? Justice was served on his own son for me. That's justice completed. Do I have any business dwelling on some sense of justice as my pride? No. What's just has been completed in Christ. Justice was served. See things through God's perspective, just. Whatever is pure, Pure, whatever, morally pure, that's what that is. It, it, whatever uh, is unstained, those things that, that are perfectly reflect, reflecting uh, the glory of God, it's, it's pure. Whatever is lovely. They put that in here for me so that I could think about my wife. It's... Whatever is lovely. It's also, it can be translated pleasing or acceptable with kindness and graciousness and, and mercy, those things that are lovely in God's sight, which includes my wife. Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, you get the idea, think about these things. Everything that is true and pleasing to God should be those things that I think about, I dwell on. And that's a decision that I have to make every single day throughout the day and catch myself when I'm dwelling on anything else to say no, I wanna dwell on these things. That's part of the salvation process of what God's doing in my mind, to dwell on these things, to replace lies, seeing things from a perspective that is against God, not the wisdom of God, and replace that with seeing things true as God sees them. It's part of the work that he's working inside of me. All right, continuing in verse nine, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in in me, learned, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Here's the second command and the second decision that I have to make every day is what to practice. What do I practice? When I was a kid, late 80s, Called everybody dude. Everything was rad. Erased BMX, I had BMX Plus Magazine. Anybody know BMX Plus Magazine? Had had a little cartoon strip of Radical Rick. Always looking forward to the next episode of the magazine so I could see what happened in the next episode of Radical Rick. My kids now, they don't say dude. At least for a while they were saying bruh. It's like bro but lazier. Bruh. (laughs) Bruh, what's going on? I think they say sweet. You guys say sweet? How do we get to do those things? At some point, that was something that that we saw, we heard, and and we started to to play with it, kind of see, oh, this is interesting. And we started practicing it. We started doing it regularly, and it became a part of us to the point that we just do it and we don't think about it. Paul's saying, I want you to practice the things that you've seen in me. What things? Everything. Boy, he includes the whole list. Everything that we've seen in example, in teaching, everything that we've seen in Paul. Why, why Paul? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I want you to imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. Paul, we're looking to Paul as an example of what it is to, to practice things in a way that is Christ-like. And we've seen so many things throughout this book um, I don't really have time to get into all of them. What's a major one we've seen? Rejoice. It's been the theme. Rejoice in the Lord. Find reason to rejoice. Find reason that we can expect to rejoice. Is that something that we practice? We saw him saying, I, I leave all things behind, so that, and I press on to the goal, the hope of everything that I have in Christ. Is that something that we practice, of, of everything that, that we have, that, that we see as valuable here in this world? To, To just constantly see that in light of the hope that we have in Christ and say, that's worth nothing compared to what I have in Christ. That's something to practice, something to do so that it becomes not something we have to think about, but something we just naturally do, like, bruh, rad. Those things are just a part of our life, but we're just naturally going, oh, I see a reason to rejoice in what God's, I see what God's doing in this. I'm going to rejoice in that is practice these things. What should we practice? And then he gives us an example, something that's another thing that we could practice, put into practice, this example of Paul. Continuing in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What he's talking about is them sending Epaphroditus with gifts out to encourage and love on him. Um, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's another verse to take to the bank, one that we see all over the place. You go to a Christian bookstore, you'll see that printed on on anything you could have it on your fridge on your wall on your mug on anything and they usually clarify by saying i can i can do all things through christ who strengthens me that's also a verse that's often used in a way that wasn't paul's intent here you see it like on the you know the locker room i can do all things through christ who strengthens me let's go play at the game that might be applicable depending on the context of the one reading it. But it's treated often as like this, this elixir, this, this, this super supplement that, you know, I've got the power of Christ, and if I take that, now I can face anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I go. That's not how Paul... Talking about that, what's in context here is contentment. I learned to be content. How have you learned to be content in all things, all circumstance, good and bad? He's learned the secret to that. What's the context of Paul's life? We saw it when we studied Ephesians. We've seen it when we studied Philippians. Everything in his life is for the Lord. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I'm here for the Lord. Everything I'm doing is following Jesus. And in that, I am going from plenty to little. I'm going from from comfort to distress. My circumstances are going all over the place. As I follow the Lord, how can I be content in every one of those circumstances? It's by this fundamental truth that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me had to do with the context of his life. The path that he was on was following Jesus. But, but when we're on our own path, and it really doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, and we try to appropriate this verse into our life, what are we doing? We're just trying to, trying to, to give a pep talk to ourselves, as, as if it's this, this thing that we can take, and, and now we're gonna have suddenly the strength to do the thing in our own interest. Turn with me to to Matthew chapter seven. Jesus talks about this. In verse 13 of chapter seven, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. It's a narrow gate and a narrow path. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, and it leads to life, and those who find it are few. What's the narrow way? It's the way that Paul was on, following Christ. It's the, it's the path that you're on that that verse suddenly becomes meaningful in the way that Paul meant it. It's a way that's not easy. It's hard. Jesus said later, in, in, further down, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father was in heaven. What is the will of the Father? That they believe in his Son, that he loved them so much to send, to die for them, to die for us. That we put our faith in his Son not as as this person that we kind of invite into our life. See, if I invite Jesus into my life I'm still on the wide path that many take that's easy and it's it's I'm lord of my own life. I'm inviting Jesus into that and I'm I'm treating that verse as you know I can do all things now through this supplement that I have invited into my life. That's that's not what it means to believe in Jesus who God sent, his own son, fully God, fully man, to go to the cross for us, to die for our sins, who was dead, buried, and raised to new life and now has been seated at the right hand of God, has given authority over all things so that one day, like we sang about, every knee will bow. And so right now, I am recognizing that and bowing my knee to the Lord. Realizing in truth who he is, believing that in truth, this is who Jesus is. That is the narrow path. But on that path, I'm walking with Jesus, the Lord of Lords. And so I know I can be content in all things as I walk with him. because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, if you're not sure that there was ever a put time in your life where you surrendered your life to Christ to say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe in you. My life is locked in sin. I want the life that's in you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, can I just encourage you that God sent his son because he loves you? That through faith in Christ, trusting him, believing him as he is, in the moment that you see that and you believe it, his Holy Spirit puts a seal upon your life, guaranteeing a work that he is gonna begin to do. And when you pray and say, Jesus, I, I see it now. You are the king of kings. I am a sinner and you died for me and I believe that now and I want you to be my Lord and Savior and we follow him. That prayer, the appropriate end to that prayer is just thankfulness and worship in the beginning of a life in relationship with the King of Kings. If you're on the narrow path, and you're in the midst of rough circumstance, can I encourage you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we can be content no matter where we're at. We don't have to seek escape from circumstance. But God God is working in us to make us like his son. I put in the notes there a reference to Romans chapter eight. I encourage you to read that. It speaks of of the work of God in our lives, of Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things together for our good, and and 29 and 30 of of how he's accomplishing that, and the rest of the chapter, just about how there is nothing that can come in the way of that. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, and I, I just pray that you're encouraged by that no matter what you're going through right now. We have a Savior. He loves us. Tomorrow, or tonight even, I plan to go back through these questions, to, to intentionally dwell on what is true and pleasing to the Lord. Tomorrow, I I'd plan on intentionally making that decision to practice something that God puts on my heart from what I know that I've seen in Paul, that I've seen in Christ. Probably to find reason to rejoice in the Lord. I like that. Be intentional about that. Tomorrow I'm gonna trust that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the life that you bring. Thank you that in your son, Jesus, we have eternal life. God, thank you that you don't abandon us. God, but this narrow path that includes difficulties that you've promised to be there with us, you will never leave us. But God, we can depend on you and we can find strength in you. God, if there's any person this morning, any person who's struggling in the, in the midst of difficulty and they're, they're trying to say, God, God, what's the meaning of this? Why do you have me here? God, show them your presence. Let them feel the comfort and strength that they have in you. God, if there's anyone here this morning who is just realizing that in their own life, they've never given their life over to you as Savior and Lord, God, encourage them with your love. Open their eyes to the joy and the treasure that is found in you. Lead them to the path that leads to life. God, thank you for the incredible truth that we can find our strength in you, and we can do all things that you have guided us to, that you are leading us through, God, in your strength. Our God gives us strength. God, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to glorify you. God, we want our every decision to fall in line with what you have for our lives because God, the destination of what you're working in us is life. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.